0: Well, you know, we are in Daniel 6, we're making our way through this book, and today we come to uh, this chapter that we've just read. I told my wife this week, the only thing harder than preaching a passage that nobody knows is preaching a passage that everybody knows. And Daniel 6 is one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. You as a church know it very well, and I can prove that you as a church know it very well. And it sort of brings up, apparently, a sensitive uh, theological issue. A few Sundays ago, I was repeatedly rebuked for misquoting (laughs) VeggieTales. Nobody challenged me on the convoluted genealogy of Belshazzar, but mess up Larry the Cucumber, and uh, apparently that's the end of it. If you remember, in the when we were in Daniel three, we talked about the fiery furnace, and I I quoted the song from Veggie Tales, Oh no, what you gonna do? The can- okay, it's been 20 years since I've seen Veggie Tales, and I was going off my memory, which was flawed. So forgive me, I did. You are right, I quoted that wrong. That was Rack Shack and Benny. Uh, that was not uh, that's th- that story, not the one that we're looking at uh, here today. So I did get that. That quote wrong, it wasn't from Daniel 3, but I stand by the illustration. (laughs) And that's because these two stories are supposed to go together. Last week, we saw that chapter 4 and 5 were two different kings and two different outcomes. Chapters 3 and 6 are also complementary stories. If you think back about the fiery furnace and you think about the lion's den, they are both stories of testing. They are both stories of courage. They are both stories about life and death. And they are both stories about whether or not God's people will respond with faith in the midst of their trials. They're both stories that challenge us on, as to whether or not we actually believe the message of Daniel that God is in control. As we open Daniel 6, we see again a, a similar story unfold to Daniel 3. God's people find themselves trapped. They're trapped by a law, trapped by their enemies. And they're trapped by circumstances that seem beyond their control. And no doubt many of us have moments like that in our workplaces, maybe quietly in our own hearts, that we feel like we're, we're not sure what to do and what, how we should respond when we feel like we're between a rock and a hard place. And Daniel 6 is a message for all of us. This chapter opens, of course, with the new regime in town. We've seen this man... Darius or Darius that shows up. If you notice the last verse in the chapter mentions Darius and Cyrus, those are probably not two different people, probably two names for the same man. But this man has come in and wiped out the Babylonians and his, his first job is to set up a, a new cabinet. So he appoints these areas and sets men over them, these satraps, and over them sets commissioners. Basically, there's managers and then there's like regional managers. And Daniel is one of those men. And Daniel does his job so well. He does his job with such excellence. Daniel serves with such integrity that Darius wants to make him the manager over everybody. And that's because Daniel possessed, it says in verse 3, an extraordinary spirit. He distinguished himself. New kingdom, new king. New surroundings, new people, new policies, all of those things were new, and yet here we find the same old Daniel, faithful, dependable, gracious, kind. He's working in another ungodly government, and yet he remains a godly example. And brothers and sisters, he was not just an example to the Persians, he truly is an example to us. There are some Christians who feel trapped by their work culture. You you are surrounded by people and things that maybe you don't like or agree with, and and the temptation can be to go along with that. Some see that other people cut corners or take a longer lunch break or pad their pockets or, or adjust the books or change the numbers, and they say, well, everybody else is doing it. I can do it. But that wasn't Daniel. Daniel was a man of absolute integrity in this situation. Brothers and sisters, your coworkers don't need to see your Christian t-shirt or Christian bumper sticker as much as they need to see your Christian attitude and your Christian witness. And it's very simple to follow the example of Daniel. Meet deadlines, follow the dress code, park where you're supposed to. Say thank you to those that work alongside of you. Respect the janitors and custodians. Speak well of your boss. That's how Daniel operated. He he was in this filthy environment, and yet he remained clean and pure and distinct. Years ago, I read the autobiography of Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, and he mentioned a verse that changed his mindset forever. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. And not unto men. And it Kathy said, after I read that verse, I decided that I was going to make every chicken sandwich as if the next customer was the Lord. I was going to wipe down every table as if the next person to sit there was the Lord. That is an extraordinary spirit. And that's the spirit that Daniel shows us. And that's the spirit every one of us should have in our workplaces. It is part of both our duty and our witness. Now, if you do that kind of thing, everybody's not going to like it. And that's what happens to Daniel. Th- these coworkers see that he's prospering and doing well, and they get jealous, it seems, so they conspire against him. They pull all of his personnel files. They comb through all of his emails. They look at all of his text messages, and they're trying to find something to pin on this guy. And guess what? There's not a single smudge of dirt. Daniel is impeccable. And so, if they can't make it professional, they make it personal. They say in verse 5 we'll, we'll accuse him with something in regards to his God. See, they knew that Daniel was, was from the exiles of Judah. They knew that Daniel represented Yahweh, that he had a reputation as, of bearing the name of the Lord in his work and in the way that he lived. And they knew that they could find him guilty of this. He wasn't a secret disciple, he was not a closet believer. Daniel was bold in the way that he lived, and it was intentional. And so they set a trap. They go to the king, and they they speak to the king about creating this injunction, this temporary law. Remember, Persia's just taken over Babylon, and the empire is very eclectic. Lots of peoples, lots of religions, lots of languages. And so this was probably posed as a way of consolidating power. It was a convenient way for Darius to unify all the different people. For just a short time, we'll have what one commentator called Darius Appreciation Month. Everybody's got to appreciate the king, and that kind of pulls us together and unifies us like a holiday might do for us. And for 30 days, he got to be a God king, and who wouldn't like that, so... He signs the injunction and goes along with it. And they say that anyone who prays to another God other than you will be cast into the lion's den. By the way, that was a, 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 the Persians. They loved capital punishment. They invented ways of killing people in execution. This being a famous one from the Old Testament. And the most famous one they invented is what would later become known as crucifixion. You say, that was the Romans. No, no, the Romans perfected it, but the Persians invented it. And you can see the cruelty and the malice of a kingdom like this. And so they, they, don't, want, they, simp- they don't simply want Daniel fired, they want Daniel dead. And, and by the way, brothers and sisters, this is a reminder that godly people will face ungodly opposition. They always have and they always will. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you because the world loves its own, but you are not of the world. He goes on to say that a servant is not greater than his master. Therefore, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We should realize that this is what we have signed up for in following Jesus. We, we have enjoyed so many freedoms, and I praise God and thank God for the liberties that we have in our nation that we have seen for many, many years. But if those things change and governments pass laws and corporations draft policies that call good evil and evil good, we should not be surprised. This has always been the pattern historically and globally. Paul said through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom. So we must be prepared. For those tribulations. And by the way, just because we got through the the fiery furnace doesn't mean we won't also face the lion's den. Daniel is a reminder here that surviving the trials of one regime or one administration doesn't exempt you from the trials in the next. So he went from trial to trial to trial. Darius signed the document. And it's clear, the trap is set. If he prays, he will perish. So what is Daniel to do? That raises a good question. What would you do? Wouldn't it be tempting to say, well, you know, God knows my heart. God knows what I've done. God sees what others don't see. I can can take a break for this. But verse 10 is quite clear. It says, now and Daniel knew that the document was signed, Daniel knew this was a setup. He knew that he was being framed. But Daniel goes home and he enters his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Why does Daniel do that? Because Daniel knows that God comes first. God comes first. If you were here when we studied 1 Peter recently, you know we talked about this, that the Scripture says that the default mode of the church is to obey government. 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, teach us that. That is the default setting of God's people. In fact, the Bible commands us to submit to government, and it never actually gives us exemptions specifically, here's when not to do it. You know what it does give us, though? Examples. You have the prophets and the, the apostles who seethe when these two conflict with each other. And so in Daniel and the apostles, we see that there is a time and a place to disobey the governing authority. When is that? It's when the law of the land flat out contradicts the law of God. And when that is the case, we obey God rather than men. Paul obeyed God rather than men. Peter and John obeyed God rather than men. Cory Tenboom obeyed God rather than men. There comes a point at which we say, as Daniel does, we will respect the governing authorities and we will even serve them, but we will not worship them. And Daniel goes and he prays. By the way, if you remember Daniel 3, I I argued that this was a challenge to the first two commandments. You shall not have another God and uh, you shall not bow to a graven image. Remember that? I'm convinced that this chapter, chapter 6, is a challenge to the third command. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. You say that's about cussing. No, well, it is way down on the list. It's actually about someone who says, I represent Yahweh, and then doesn't represent Yahweh. And Daniel has a reputation as someone who represents Yahweh. He has worn the name of the Lord for 90 years. He has lived and conducted himself that way. And now that the trap is set, and now that the crosshairs are on him, will he wear the name of the Lord in vain? Or will he actually follow through in trusting the Lord? And Daniel, of course, he does. He goes and he prays and kneels before God. You know when I was a kid I used to hear this story and read it and in my mind the most scary part of this story was the lion's den. In my mind I thought about the I imagined bones scattered about on the rocky floor and blood stains on the walls and you know hungry lions prowling about and sort of roaring and grumbling as they do in their razor-sharp claws And then this week as I read this text, I came to realize that the scariest place in Daniel 6 is not the lion's den. It was Daniel's rooftop. That was the valley of decision. That was the moment of faith. That that was the time for him to, 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 to cast the die and to say, Lord, I'm all in. This was Daniel's way of saying, I have decided to follow Yahweh, no turning back. When Daniel walked up on that rooftop and opened his windows to heaven and peered towards Jerusalem in, in a way of, of showing his faith in the promises of God to restore his people, when Daniel walked up and then knelt down on his knees, he was not just committing himself to pray, he was committing himself to die. He knew What was coming? He was willing to die for the living God. And part of the reason he was willing to do this is because Daniel had filled his life with the kind of holy habit that made obedience second nature. Do we have that? Do we have the kind of holy habits? Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You don't just wake up one day and be godly like Daniel. It comes through the disciplined effort of getting down three times a day and and, and humbling himself and adoring God and doing this regular day after day after day after day. And having done that, he was in a knee-jerk position that when the law was passed, there was no question. We will do what is right when it's illegal because we do what is right when it's legal. And Daniel had committed himself. Brothers and sisters, don't lose this instruction. Build into your life right now the disciplines and the habits that will put you on a path so that when the moment comes, you don't have to think twice. Daniel had. The men spy on him, and of course, they report back to Darius, as you know, what had happened. And of course, in verse 14, it says, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. Why? Because he realizes that not only was Daniel set up, he was set up. He now realizes they trapped him. He likes Daniel. He wants to promote Daniel. In fact, he goes out of his way to try to prevent this from happening. It says in verse 14 that he set his mind to delivering Daniel, and even until sunset, There was a Persian law that said capital punishment had to be carried out the same day by sundown. So if it was signed in the morning and Daniel was caught praying at noon, he had until the evening to find a loophole. But he couldn't find one. And not only was Daniel a law-abiding man, but but Cyrus or Darius was also a law-abiding man. And so in verse 16, it says, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into The lion's den. By the way, do you see the the irony just oozing out of verse 14? Darius over here is flattered into thinking that he is some god and he can't even change his own laws. Do not put your trust in princes or presidents. Or any leader. They are not as in control as they think they are. And Darius realizes he's helpless to do what needs to be done. And so Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. By the way, he's he's probably pushing 90 years of age at this point. And Daniel realizes this is what he signed up for. Obeying God landed Daniel in serious trouble. Do you realize that might be true for you too? I know this sounds far-fetched, but we, we are blessed as a church and we have young men and young women in our church who are studying, who are in global studies and who are considering going abroad especially. Young people, listen to me closely. Obeying God might put you in harm's way. That is the absolute truth. And you might be absolutely in the center of God's will and put in that situation. Obeying God got Daniel in trouble. It got Paul in trouble. And obeying God got the Lord Jesus in trouble. Why would we think any different? Sometimes it is the will of God. For us to be in the lion's den. Then we see as he's tossed in. The strangest thing happened in this story. Look at verse 18. It says the, the king, they, they, they laid a stone, verse 17, over the lid, and it was sealed with a signet ring, and, and, and it can't be changed, right? It's sealed over. Then verse 18, then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Now, I was so puzzled all week by this. It never really, I mean, I guess I knew this, but we have paintings of Daniel the Lion's Den, we have veggie Tales, right? We have all kinds of things of Daniel the Lion's Den. But the camera doesn't pan down to the lion's den. The camera, if you will, stays focused. The story stays focused on Darius. We go back to the palace with him. And the guy is an absolute wreck. Right? It says he can't eat. He can't sleep. He doesn't want to watch Netflix. I mean, the guy, hes just, he doesn't know what to do. And it's it's as if the story is saying to us and whispering to us, Daniel might be in the lion's den, but Darius is the one who's trapped. He's trapped by his own law and his own helplessness, trapped by his own co-conspirators that work for him, trapped by his own fear because he said, your God will deliver you. Then he goes home wringing his hands going, oh no, is God going to deliver him? And Darius is the one who's not sure what's going to happen. Can anyone really be alive behind that giant stone, he wonders? Well, he can't wait to find out. So verse 19, it says, then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and he went in haste to the lion's den. And he shouts out a question, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And instead of the roar of a lion, he hears the voice of a man. O king, live forever. And then he explains what happens. Verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Why? Because I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. You know, we call this story Daniel in the lion's den, but I think if you had asked him, he would call this the angel in the lion's den. Wasn't that his experience? By the way, if, if Daniel believed in angels, brothers and sisters, we should too. We, we talk about spiritual warfare and people get all worked up going, don't you know that the devil has an army? Yeah, but don't you know God has a bigger one? You say, every time I turn around, i got this trouble or this problem or that issue or this. Listen, you might have a thousand troubles, but God has 10,000 angels. And he can dispatch them at any moment. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are angels not ministering spirits sent out by God to serve those who will inherit salvation? He is the Lord of hosts. And Daniel experienced... That upon hearing that he was safe, the king is thrilled and he brought him out. They inspected him and found no injury on him, of course. And it says at the end of verse 23, no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then he gave orders. Notice they they brought these men, verse 24, that accused Daniel. They cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. Which, by the way, that proves The lions were not full. Right? They did not eat Daniel because God said it's not dinner time. But when these men were cast in, the divine dinner bell rang and they had at it and they destroyed them. Notice pulverizing their bones. They don't even reach the bottom of the den until they are destroyed. By the way, it's a great reminder for us, if you are trapped by your enemies, if you are on the other side of challenges and difficulties, brothers, listen to me, do what is right before God and never take your own revenge because you should leave room for the wrath of God because he has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If there needs to be others cast in the den, God can do it. If judgment needs to come on their heads, he can do it. It is not our place to do that. Daniel doesn't do it. But what Daniel instead, verse 23 says, he was trusting in his God. I thought that would be a great sermon title, trapped but trusting. He was trapped by his enemies, was he not? He was trapped by the law. He was trapped by the government. He was trapped in the lion's den, but through it all, he was trusting in God. Can that be said of you? Or are you more like Darius wringing your hands? You can't sleep. You can't eat. You you find no enjoyment because you're not sure because your heart is fickle. Your heart is wayward. Your heart is anxious. It's not rooted and grounded in the kind of virtues and discipline like Daniel did that gave him a a good night's sleep in the lion's den. In this final section, verses 25 to 28, Darius takes a page out of Nebuchadnezzar's book. And he writes this decree. Decree. Look at it again. He says, verse 26, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? The same man who wrote a decree prohibiting the worship of God now writes a decree requiring the worship of God. If you don't think that God can change a president or governor's heart overnight, this is why we pray. Because they're not the one in control, God is the one in control. And so he writes this and tells everyone to honor the Lord of heaven. He is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom, which is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. This man comes and realizes that, that, that Daniel lives because God lives. He realizes that Daniel endures because God endures, that Daniel was not destroyed because God and his kingdom cannot be destroyed. This is not a story about Daniel. It is a story about our God and how trustworthy he is and how worthy he is of our trust and our faith, even in the trials of life. The Dariuses of this world may do their best to trap us, and the, the, the enemies around us may do their best. Listen to me. Our coworkers may be against us, and our government at times may be against us. Our laws may be against us. Our circumstances may be against us. But brothers and sisters, if God be for us, who can really be against us? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, Paul said. He realizes that what? Verse 27 that God delivers and rescues, performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. By the way, if you're here this morning, and especially if you're not a Christian, l- listen closely. This is not the last time this story would be told. You say, what do you mean? Th- this story. The story of God's servant, who is totally innocent, but is betrayed by the nation's leaders that conspire against him. And while no charge can be found against the servant, he is delivered over to death by the law of the land. And he would be sentenced to die, a form of capital punishment invented by the Persians his body would also be placed behind a stone and a seal would be placed on that stone and it would remain that way until early in the morning. At dawn, some came to that place and they too were troubled by what they saw at first. And what was it? It was an angel. And the angel did not say, oh, king, live forever. The angel said, the king of kings lives forever. He is not here. He is risen. My friends, our God did not abandon Daniel in the pit. He did not abandon his son in the grave. And he will not abandon you in your trials and when you're trapped. He is the God that rescues. He is the God that delivers. He is the God that saves. Trust Him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the word of Daniel chapter 6. And Lord, while it may be a, a passage and a story we've read many times, Lord, we need a fresh and a new the sense of urgency from these words God, it is so easy to lose sight of the fact that you are the God that delivers, who rescues and saves. And Lord, that is a reminder, we are people who need deliverance. We need to be rescued. Lord, we need to be saved. And so we look to you today. Lord, it seems that all around us, our enemies would prosper both seen and unseen. But we thank you that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so we look to him in faith. Lord, forgive us for wringing our hands in faithlessness and worry like Darius. Give us the boldness, the courage, the certainty, the discipline of Daniel to trust in our God. For the sake of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.